story in Matthew 9. He's sitting around a table with people who are different, not from where they come from or how they look or the language they speak, but for what they do. And that's the division that we see here uh, between them and the Pharisees. And, and as I read that, it reminds me and it kind of transports me back to like middle school and high school. How many of you remember the divided tables we experienced growing up in the cafeteria, right? Anybody experienced that? Well, yes, we all did. If you, unless you were homeschooled, that would have been awkward. <laughs> that would be really awkward. Like, hey, brother, get over there, right? That would just, Yeah. But if you went to, to the cafeteria and you're sitting around the table and you're looking at the other tables, what did you have? You had division based on external factors, right? You had the jocks and the cheerleaders. You had the mathletes. You had the AV club, the theater geeks. You had the artsy ones. You had the cool kids that had cars. They weren't usually around the table because they're eating at their car, you know, things like that. Like, they grouped up into these different things. And then genres of music always defined groups, right? The rockers and the goths and the, and the heavy metal dudes and, and all of these things uh, based on whatever genres and styles. And, and thinking about it, looking at Jesus' story, thinking about our own stories, thinking about now being an adult, we still do this. We gather around people based on external factors, jobs. How many of us sit around people that have a similar job? What divides our tables? Think about what divides our tables, right? Our meal times with other people. Not just the lunchroom at work, but also uh, who comes into your living room? Who do you go out to eat with? Who's sitting around the table? That What divides that table? Uh, appearance. Tattoos and piercings or clothes. Uh, does vocabulary divide our tables? I don't like to sit around them. They swear a lot. They tell dirty jokes. I don't like to sit around them. Ah. Sexuality can divide our tables. Food that we choose to eat or not eat. Alcohol, not alcohol. Do I drink? Do I not drink? That could divide a table, right? What's going into our stomach? How about this one? This is fun. Voting. How about voting habits? Does that divide our tables? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, it does. Can we bring the house lights up, Travis? Can we it's already gloomy outside. Let's get some lights up in here. It's, let's brighten them all up. Yep. Oh, perfect. Yes. May the Lord shine his light upon us. But as we think about our divided tables, I want you to, to internally answer this question. When was the last time you had a meal with somebody and fill in the blank? Blank different than you and me. Let me say that again. When was the last time I had a meal with somebody who voted differently than me? When was the last time I had a meal with somebody who spoke differently than me? who dress differently than me, who believe differently than me? When was the last time I had a meal with somebody who was tattooed differently than me? And as silly as these things can sometimes be, think about it. We tend to group up just like we did in high school and middle school. And we are inviting or avoiding people based on these external factors. Divided tables will become closed tables. Think about that. A divided table is going to become an exclusive table, a closed table, a huddle of sorts. And yet when we look at Jesus, he had an open table. Jesus had an open table. Think about Jesus' disciples. That was an open group. You had blue-collar fish, fishermen, not fish, fishermen, right? Think of those guys. You think they all told clean jokes? They're fishermen. Think they were highly educated having these intellectual discussions? No. 
talk about fish cuts, right? Like, like they're just, they're fishermen, they're blue-collar dudes. You think about Jesus' disciples, and that was an open table group, because you had, on one side, you had Matthew, the tax collector, who was gaining money for the government, and then you had a zealot who was anti-government and did everything he could to oppose the government. Think about those dinner conversations. But as you look at the 12 disciples, you see diversity. You look at Jesus' time on earth, and he's, he shares a drink with a Samaritan woman. He eats with the religious leaders and the religious outcasts. His table is open. It's not divided. And you see that in this story. In Matthew 9, 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus is having a sinner dinner. Don't, don't call that. Don't, don't invite people over and say, like, well, we're having sinner dinner. But that's what he's having. The tax collectors were considered sinners and unpure people. Why? Because they were greedy and dishonest and materialistic, and they sided with the government. And if you sided with the Roman government, you were opposed to God because those Roman government officials were opposing and oppressing God's people. So you were in opposition to God. They were viewed as the anti-heroes. They were unpure. They were not people you wanted to hang out with. And then they're looking around and they see prostitutes and, and, and un, unclean people. They just categorize them as sinners. These losers, these dirty people. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're judging based on the exterior. They're just like a middle schooler. They're just judging based on the exterior. And, and just like I said, we do, we do the same thing as adults, right? We just don't voice it like the Pharisees do. But how many of us cringe at the idea of having a meal with somebody that makes us uncomfortable? We don't exclude them because they're tax collectors, though, right? Like, I don't know anybody that works for the IRS, but that would not be a disqualifier for me. Like, sure, you take my taxes. Ah! Right? But we judge people based on their appearance, their hygiene, their habits. And Jesus models something different for us. That as Christ's followers, we're to follow his example. I heard this description of the gospel, and I, I just loved it. I read it in a book. It says, the gospel is Jesus eating good food with bad people. Isn't that the gospel? It's good news. Jesus is eating good food with bad people. He opens his table to anyone, regardless of how uncomfortable, unclean, or unfamiliar they are to him. That's why I love what we're doing with Halloween, right? you got these little little pamphlets, how you can get involved with Halloween. I, I love what we've done for Halloween in the past with our big events, and I love what we're doing this year, being in people's homes and, and in front yards and things like that, because Halloween is an opportunity to be around people that I wouldn't normally get to be around. You see, for the Nolt family, Halloween is about dressing up and having fun and eating tons of candy, right? I love candy. It's my favorite dessert. And Right? You can ask my wife. Candy is my favorite dessert. More than anything else, I will eat candy because I'm a little child uh, at heart. But Halloween is about having fun and dressing up cute and, and funny and things like that. So we'll dress up as superheroes or princesses or, you know, uh, animals, things like that. I'm not the princess, but, you know, you get the picture. And when we engage in Halloween, whether it was big events or now being in our front yards, 
This is the beauty of Halloween. I get to be around people that have funny or cute or clever costumes, but I also get to be around people with daggers sticking out of their heads and fake blood dripping down. And I'm like, ooh, that freaked me out. Wicked witches and goblins and gory creatures and clowns. <laughs> I see people dressed up as clowns. Even if they're supposed to be a nice, happy clown, it's still creepy. This is the beauty of Halloween. I am now elbow to elbow with somebody, or six feet apart in COVID, but I'm around somebody that I would probably not be around. And I have that same reaction the Pharisees did. <gasps> Except they're not judging because they're a clown. They're judging because of other factors. But Halloween brings us together. Halloween gets us around the table, except for not a dining room table. What's our table? Right? It's our front yard. And we're not sharing a meal. We're sharing a bowl of candy. But we're together. My hope is that we're maximizing these moments and getting to engage with people and be around them so that we can do what? So that later in the spring, maybe I'll have a summer barbecue or a spring barbecue in our backyard. Maybe they will come over and watch a Hawks game or they'll sit in our living room and, and eat food and play board games and hang out together and get around our table. But who knows what could happen? But Halloween is an opportunity for us to open our table up. It's the one night out of the year where that passive-aggressive Northwest freeze just stops and we get out of our houses together. It's exciting. It's good. It challenges me in new ways. And, and, and yet I wrestle, as I look at Jesus with this, how open am I to sitting around an open table? Jesus had an open table. Do I? Do you? Will I sit around the table with people that make me go, huh? Because that's who Jesus hung out with. And I want to I challenge us with this question. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he sit around the table with people that made him go, huh? That were uncomfortable and unfamiliar, right? Because we might think to do this because it's a good thing to do and we're nice people and we're Christians, so we got to just be loving and accept. Yes, but... Why? What was at the heart of why Jesus did this? He answers the question, why? And as a millennial, I always want to know why. That's just what we do. We ask that question, why? Matthew 9, verse 11 through 13, Jesus answers why. And it's because he sits around a table with a purpose. These aren't just dinners. This is a meal with a mission. He says, when the Pharisees saw this, they questioned and asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, for Jesus, an open table is a missional table. An open table is a missional table. It's a purposeful table. It's a, it's a table. It's a gathering. It's a meal that's on purpose. It's not on accident, it's not by coincidence, it's not by circumstance. No, an open table leads to becoming a missional table. And the mission that Jesus tied it to is what? Bringing healing, restoration. He uses this imagery of a doctor. And a doctor connects with what? Sick people, hurting people, broken people. And who did Jesus connect with? Lost people, confused people, broken people, hurt people, confused Meaning that when he gathered around that table, it wasn't just to have this eclectic group. It's because he saw people that needed to be healed and restored. 
And think about the healing that happens around that table. Not just in this moment, but all the other moments that Jesus sits and has meals with people. Right? The healing and restoration that he came to bring. Physical. They saw miracles. Right? Yeah. They saw the miraculous. People healed physically and, and, and restored physically. But they also experienced wholeness emotionally. Think about the emotional healing that's taking place. Think about the relational or social healing that takes place. When he says, you're accepted at this table. You are welcomed at this table. We are equals at this table. Think of what that heals in somebody emotionally and relationally, socially. Jesus brought spiritual healing to people around that table. As he taught them about a God that came to love them. And he brought the gospel. Good food with bad people. That's the gospel. Because he's bringing good news. He's healing and restoring and accepting and acknowledging. He's answering questions. He's bringing truth. These are all things that take place. And what does all of that do? It's not just about creating a holy huddle. It's about what? Bringing wholeness to these people. Bringing healing to these people. That's the mission. And so it's more than just meals and calories and parties. It's an opportunity for people to encounter Jesus. Have their lives changed by Jesus. And so Jesus stays on mission when he stays around an open table. And it inspires me because I think we all want to be missional. We all want to reach the unchurched, but we just we don't really know how or what to do. And it inspires me that Jesus gets his mission done sitting at a table. There's times where he preaches on the mountain, Sermon on the Mount. There's times where he preaches in the temple. There's many times where he's sitting around a meal, and that's where ministry happened. That's where the mission of God was fulfilled, was sitting around a table, a missional table. An open table is a missional table, and, and I would be challenged to think a closed table is what? A divided table is inward, selfish, purposeless. Closed in the sense where we get to the point where it's like only clean people allowed, only good enough people allowed, only Christian people allowed. That's what I mean by closed. Where we exclude people for who they are and how they look and what they've done. And we've been on the receiving end of that, I'm sure. Whether you've been in church a long time or a little bit of a time, we've been on the receiving end of what it feels like to be rejected by the churched people. And so Jesus challenges me, an open table is a missional table. Now, how did he do that? How did Jesus become such a people magnet, right? Like, how did the Son of God, the most pure, perfect person in the world, draw in these unchurched, uh, irreverent, unclean people? Like, he's a people magnet. That's what's fascinating to me about Jesus, is he just draws people in that are curious and have questions and, and confused about all of these things. But he, he, he's a people magnet. How did he do that? Why did it work for him? What did he do? I, I think one thing that he did is he treated them like people. We're going to talk more about the humility factor that happens around the table next week. But when he says to the Pharisees, I desire mercy over sacrifice, he's saying, would you get around a table and just be merciful to some people? And when you show mercy, you show humanity, you show humility, you show love, you show grace. 
Jesus treated people like people. So think about that. Think about how, how did he gather people that were so different than him? He treated them like humans. He said, you matter. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to notice you. I'm going to learn your name. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to welcome you in, right? All of these different things that he did. And I think that, that's a huge factor in this, and I think it's an encouragement to us that we could go do that. We could show mercy to people. We could be kind to people. We don't have to be afraid. And, and I was thinking about it this, this week as, as I was preparing and thinking about, I think we live in, in, in this teeter-totter of, well, I want to accept people, but I, I know I shouldn't approve or endorse or affirm everything that they do. How many of you wrestle with that tension? I want to be around them, but if I'm around them, does that endorse it? Well, what, do you think Jesus affirmed and approved of everything that they did? He's around prostitutes. You think he wants them to go live their life that way? And live in that kind of immorality and that kind of lifestyle and living? No, he wasn't endorsing that. He was around tax collectors. Do you think he wanted them to be greedy and selfish and materialistic? Not based on the teachings that we have about Jesus and money. But he accepted them. And I think we can learn to accept people and show them a mercy and a grace that even though we disagree, we still see them as human. We still see them as people. We can still listen and empathize with them. And we're going to talk more about the humility that we experience. But I, I just, I started to feel that tension. It's like, I, I want to be around people, but how do I do that, Sean? Because I don't, I, I, we're feeling that tug of war. But the Son of God was able to do it. He's able to sit around this table with such an eclectic group that saw the world so differently. And he accepted them, cared for them, he listened to them. He showed mercy to them. But another thing that Jesus did regularly, and we see it in this text too, in Matthew 9, verses 9 through 10, is Jesus invited people to an open table. It's really hard for somebody to come to a party they don't know about. Think about that. Really hard to come to a table you don't know exists. So what did Jesus do? He invited them. Look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Is that an invitation? You're nodding. Yes. Yes, it is. It is an invitation. Come and follow me, he told them. And then Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, dot, 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 and the story goes on from there. Isn't that interesting? We're just transported like, hey, come follow me, and then we're going to go to your house and party. That's bold. I mean, that, that challenges me a bit, right? How many of you feel uncomfortable inviting yourself over to somebody's house? Yeah, right? It, it's a little uncomfortable. We don't have home field advantage at that point. And that feels really uh, invasive. But Jesus found a way to do that. Hey, I want to come hang out with you. Can I come over? I trust you enough to feed me. I don't know. Like, he just, he figured it out. Like, how does this guy that doesn't have a job and doesn't work, doesn't have a 401k, doesn't have a house, and yet he constantly in the Gospel of Luke is feasting? he invited himself over. So how does a guy that doesn't have live TV always watch a Seahawks game? I invite myself over. <laughs> because if I can get you around a Seahawks game, I can show you a kindness and a generosity and a, and a love and a humility 
if I could sit in that living room with you. You see, I'm using what I don't have to my advantage. And then sometimes I use what I have to my advantage. When we bought our couch, we bought one that people could sit on, that was big enough, that we could eat on and not freak out. Marinara sauce! We bought our dining room table, or we go and buy another table sometime. We want it to be able to fit people around it. We're using those things to our advantage. We bought a pool this last summer. And why did we buy such a massive lake of a pool to put in our backyard? I have three kids. I don't have 30. Why did I buy a big pool? I wanted people to come over. See, I wanted to invite people, and I wanted to invite myself over. It's that tension that I continue to live in, but Jesus had an open table because he was bold in that, courageous in that, and we've got to be willing to risk the rejection and risk the insecurity uh, and and put that on the line to say, I'm going to go and invite somebody to this. Come on over and have a barbecue and a pool party with us. Hey, can I come over and watch the Seahawks game and have some pizza with you? Now, this change... This has been changing ever so slightly uh, in the last week or so, but usually the majority of time we had to invite ourselves over to people. Funny enough, as we've been talking about being around the table, more of you are inviting us over. I appreciate that. Uh, and you're ruining my sub point here. But it's not about just inviting the pastor over. Can we have an open table for anyone? Anyone in this room, anyone online, anyone in your neighborhood, anyone in your workplace, anyone on your kid's soccer team, having an open table for them to join you. But we've got to be willing to risk that and invite them over or invite ourselves over. Because if I'm sitting back and waiting for everyone to invite me over, I'm going to have a lot of lonely meals. Jesus risked it. He put it out there. He said, yes, I'm going to go and invite myself. I mean, the boldness to go up to Matthew doing his job and say, hey, drop everything. Come follow me. That takes a lot of boldness. What if Matthew said no? And then to say, let's go have dinner at your house. He does it again with Zacchaeus, another tax collector. Jesus knew who to hang out with, I guess. They, you know. But think about the story of Zacchaeus. He calls him out out of the tree and says, what? Zacchaeus, we're eating tonight. Let's go. It's this lifestyle of invitations. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus refers to the kingdom of God as a banquet. Funny enough, as it all fits, right? It's this party. And in Luke chapter 14, you see this story, this parable, as Jesus is illustrating the kingdom of God and God throwing this big party and extending all these invitations because God is inviting people to come to his party, Right? He's out there inviting and people are like, nah, I don't want to come. I got plans I got to make. I'm too busy, whatever. You know, and they, they can't come for whatever reason. And so the master in this parable tells his servants, well, then fine. It's go time. Get inviting people. Let's go. And this is what it says in Luke 14, verse 21 through 23. And we see the heart of an invitation lifestyle in this. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. Verse 23, so the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. That's the heart of our God. There's more room. The table is not going to be closed. 
parable of the ban- banquet gives us this idea, though, of intentionality. We are the servants in that. And God is telling us, go and invite people. You see what? An urgency. What are we waiting for? I got time. I'll warm them up. Eventually, I'm going to get together with them and have a barbecue six years from now. It's my long-haul plan. Get going, right? There's an urgency to this. The party has started. What are we waiting for, right? The parable also shows us this intentionality. It's not going to happen with us sitting at home. We've got to go. What does he say? Go into the country lanes behind the hedges. Go shake the shrubs and find people. Like, go just get people around this table. There's intentionality. We've got to be willing to get out of our bubble and go after people and invite ourselves over to people's homes. We've had to do that. And I'll tell you what, I've yet to have somebody say no. Recently, in inviting myself over, nobody's like, uh, no. Because people want to hang out. Especially after last year. We want to be together. What else do you see? An inclusivity. This parable shows us an inclusivity. Because who is welcomed at this party? Everyone. You, me, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting a few seats away, people sitting over there outside of our building are welcome to this party. This isn't a closed table group. This isn't a you're not good enough to be with us kind of a group. We have an invitation to a party, and that party is the good news of Jesus. Gospel translates as good news. Anytime you hear the word gospel, just know, good news. Meaning, we're invited to, I, th- I don't think it's an accident that he illustrates it as a party, right? It's not like we're going to sit together and just look at each other. It's a party, right? This isn't some downer of a gathering. This is a party. It's a banquet. This is the kingdom of God, and we're invited to this, and you've been invited to it, and now it's our job to go invite others to it. We are called to live on mission, and how many of us want to live on mission? We need to make an impact in our world. How many of you want to reach your neighbor for Jesus? I don't know about you. I would much rather get around a table than go preach on the street. That freaks me out. And I'm a preacher for my job. Some people, that's the way they do it, and it works for some. doesn't work for everybody. Some love handing out tracts and little Bible pamphlets, and that works for some, and that gets people into the kingdom of God. That's the way that they're inviting people. I don't want to bash anybody or diminish, right? But that just doesn't, that doesn't fire me up. I don't get excited about paper. I don't. I get scared like handing them this thing that says Jesus, but others it works. And I know people have gotten saved because of that kind of literature or street preaching or, or ministries. Of those days. My wiring, and I don't know if you're similar to me or different than me, but my wiring is I would much rather sit around a table with you, sit in a living room with you. I want to reach my neighbor. I want to reach the kids on our soccer team. I want to reach the parents of our soccer teams. I want to reach the unchurched of Skagit County. I don't think anybody that loves Jesus would disagree with that for themselves. And what we see is a missional table is a tool to be living on mission. And a missional table is accomplished through an open table. An open table. 
So who are you going to invite? I'm sure as I've been talking, names, faces, houses started coming to mind. Who are you going to invite to your table? Who are you going to start sharing a meal with? And I, I, I want to clarify, too, because I know for some you hear this and you think of, like, small groups or, or dinner groups and, and things like that. And, and I think that that's different. A discipleship group or, a, or a, a, a life group, things like that might be different. What I'm talking about here is a lifestyle of living on mission. And one of the tools that we have, like, life groups sometimes, yeah, you got to build confidence. you got to build security. you got to build safety of sharing and not being hurt because everybody's changing all the time, right? That's a different discussion. This is about what do I have, what do I don't have, how can I use that to create an open table so I can go reach Joe at work, so I can go reach Su Susie or Sally or whatever at the PTA meeting, or my neighbor down the street. Begin opening up our table in our living room or at Robin or, or uh, at their house or whatever, and living that kind of missional lifestyle. That is my heart. As I was praying for us this week as a church, that we are people that follow the example of Jesus by living on mission. Making disciples. That's our mission. Make disciples. And as we live on mission, I want to be inclusive instead of exclusive. I want to show mercy instead of judgment. I want to be open instead of closed. So I'm going to open my table up. Can I pray for us? Yeah? That's going to be my new thing. I want to just ask that I can pray for you. I don't want to force prayer on you. But I want to pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for the lifestyle of invitation that you lived. Thank you that your ministry was embodied by this idea of opening up tables and opening up meals and opening up your life to be around anyone and everyone. And I, I just I, I want to give us a, a chance right now, church, uh, to respond. If anybody needs to say yes to that invitation to just live life with Jesus. So nobody's looking around and we're not going to make a spectacle of this, but I also never want to assume that everyone in the room or everyone online has said yes to Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus describes himself and his ministry. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. Jesus is knocking. He's asking to be invited in. And interestingly enough, he says, to eat with you, to be around the table with you. And so I just want to extend that invitation. If there's anybody today where you can just, from where you're at, raise your hand, you want to say yes to opening up the heart door, the door to your heart and say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. Yes, Jesus, come and be with me. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. No one's looking around. No one's making a spectacle of it. But would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you as you make a decision to say yes to Christ today.
Jesus, I just thank you for today and this opportunity that we have to look at your ministry, to look at your life, to look at your teaching. And I pray for all of us, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a boldness and a courage to risk an invitation. Maybe it's this week or the weeks to come, but I pray for boldness to risk that invitation, to open up our eyes to the people around us and to begin to open up our hearts and open up our tables. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives, and what you're doing in your church. I pray that you just you use us in whatever capacity and whatever ways to expand your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.